0: City, and my name is Justin Taylor. I'm one of the worship pastors here on staff at New City. So thank you for having me. And I'll be taking a moment tonight to talk about the problem of time. The way that the problem of time relates to the art of neighboring. So reeling it in uh, just a little bit, we're in part two of a three-part series called The Art of Neighboring where we as I think there's over 100 churches in the city of Charlotte alone represented. 50,000 people will be listening to the word and responding to the call from God, the greatest command, or at least the one that Jesus said is one like it, namely to love your neighbor as yourself. And to ask specifically the question, what if when Jesus said love your neighbor, he included also or meant also your next door neighbor. And so our homework last week was to learn our neighbor's names. Uh, though it's possible to, to give out acts of love to someone whose name you don't know, it is impossible for any meaningful amount of time and to any meaningful depth to develop a relationship with someone whose name you don't know. And so learning a person's name is a good place to start and it's the place that we started uh, last week. So we handed out these little Uh, cardstock uh, pieces with a picture of a home and uh, vacant pieces of property where you could write in the names of your neighbors and stick it somewhere where you could find it and then pray for your neighbors by name. So if you didn't get one of those, we have them after the service. You can come and get it. So tonight, within the art of neighboring, I'm supposed to be talking about the problem of time. How do we make enough time for or carve out enough margin for loving our neighbors well. And I say I'm supposed to because right off the bat I want to link the idea of time with that of hospitality. Uh, because if, we're inviting, uh, if I, we're inviting you to make time, it begs the question, time for what? And while we're supposed to love our neighbor in general, right? The specific love that best represents the love that is between next door neighbors is that particular variety of love that we call hospitality. Being a good host and being a good guest. So we're linking time and hospitality together. And for reasons I hope to make clear in a little bit, I want to show that of these two, time and hospitality, we ought to give precedence or we give priority not to finding time, but to the practice of hospitality. And so I'll say more about this in a minute, but in the meantime, I wanna suggest that if we search for time, if we begin with the search for time, we never seem to have quite enough of it, or at least we never get to the place where we feel I'm ready, or my house is ready. But when we begin with simple acts, of hospitality that we can manage, we find that the time that it takes to make that happen rushes in to make it possible. So before we get into any of that, I would like to ground our discussion tonight in the word of the Lord. Just a single verse from scripture, Hebrews chapter 13, verse two. I feel like I'm in the great awakening when they could preach for an hour and a half and only do it on one verse. So here we go, Hebrews chapter 13, verse two. You can turn there if you like, but you probably already know it, even if you don't know the address. It goes like this. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So it's almost certainly hearkening back to the story of Abraham in Genesis 18, where Abraham's sitting under the tree, and three guests come, three visitors who turn out to be angels, but there it is. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And uh, unfortunately tonight there's no mysterious pausing of Greek verbs to help you to understand this better. In this case it means exactly what it says, to show hospitality to strangers. It's a simple command, but between this uh, simple text and our simple obedience there stands this big barricade of time. And that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. So before we do, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we recognize that we ourselves are subject to time. But you, Lord, uh, as we sang, age to age you stand, and time is in your hand, beginning and the end. And so, Lord, for you, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And so, Lord, as we read today, I pray uh, that you would teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom, because we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for in so doing some have entertained angels unawares. Now you'll probably notice that in this verse it makes no attempt to show us how to manage our time in relation to hospitality. In fact, you'll be hard pressed to find any verse in the New Testament that has anything to do with hospitality that is gonna help us with our modern problem of time management it's a 21st century problem, not quite the problem that uh, shepherds and farmers and the trades that made that possible would have struggled with in the same way. You're not gonna find the verse in the Bible where it says, okay, so Simon the Tanner wanted to show hospitality, but his boss was riding him really hard, he was pushing a deadline, you know, working the midnight oil, and he just had no margin. You're not gonna find uh, that verse in the scripture because it doesn't seem to be, as it relates to hospitality, a biblical problem. It's our problem, because we are a busy people. How often will you either hear or say when you ask the question, how are you doing, the response you either give or receive would be, I'm doing great, you know, just staying busy. There's a a pastor in town, Kevin DeYoung, uh, an author as well, who wrote a book called Crazy Busy, subtitle, a mercifully short book about a really big problem. Uh, My favorite band, the Dave Matthews Band, wrote a song, which is probably my favorite song, Ants Marching, and it says, driving in on this highway, all these cars end up on the sidewalk, people in every direction, no words exchanged, no time to exchange. We live in a world where we ourselves and our neighbors have been shaped by calendars that are broken into 15 minute segments or less. And we know what this feels like. Many of you, as we drive home uh, to our houses, we're going to watch our neighbors pull in, garage goes up, car goes in, garage goes down. And that's the last you see of them before the, the shades are drawn. This is the reality into which we've been born. In 1981, the year before I was born, Don't do the math. (laughs) Henry Nouwen wrote these words. Thus, we are a busy people, just like all the other busy people, rewarded with all the rewards that are rewarded to busy people. Now, if that was 38 years ago, how are we doing today? If the problem is going to be overcome, the problem of time, I don't believe it's gonna be overcome through force of will. Even if I could offer you tips on time management, and I suggest that if you want tips on time management, you go to someone other than me, I would not be very helpful, that it's not gonna be able to account for your neighbor's busyness and the busy world into which we have been born and raised. What we need is the type of focus that will make us attentive to the ways that God's grace is already at work in the midst of all the chaos that is going on. Not through force of our will, but developing an internal quiet that's good enough to pay attention to the ways that green shoots of grace are growing right in our backyard. So now, uh, right now, as we speak, uh, starting 46 minutes ago, uh, there is a party at my house that I am not there for. Uh, there, uh, so Amber's there, she's, uh, she's holding down the fort, and there's like maybe 60 or so, 20-something-year-olds having an engagement party at our house. And um, so I literally don't have time for hospitality, if time is what I'm after. And yet hospitality is happening with or without me. Uh, It kind of happened a a couple of weeks ago, we had this uh, couple that Amber and I have been uh, walking the road with, and uh, their uh, venue that they had for an engagement party fell through last minute. So Amber, without even looking at me, or without skipping a beat, uh, she said, "Uh, just use our house. Uh, we've got a kitchen and pots and pans and um, we've got a yard and a fire pit, just use our house. Just We won't be able to you know, host it or get it ready. Or, um, but if you bring your stuff, then that's fine. You'll use our house. And I was like, I'm preaching that <laughs> And she goes, yeah, that's fine. So Justin will come a little bit later. Uh, I think I got the good end of the deal. I might actually linger a little after this. <laughs> got a bit of work to do. But yeah, so uh, long story short, uh, she offered uh, the house and so all of these people are there. And so while I myself am subject to time, God who is outside of time makes his grace to grow even in the midst of a chaotic schedule and even if we're able to manage our own schedules through force of will in a world that hasn't been able to manage their own schedules. If we try to slay the dragon of time management on its own terms, using its own techniques, we'll never feel like we have enough of it. Our house will never feel ready enough for our guests. But if we begin with the rhythmical practice of hospitality, simple rhythms of uh, hospitality, time will rush in to make those practices possible. Now just before you think any highly of me, or perhaps better said, uh, any highly of Amber uh, than you ought, we weren't always like this. The first six or seven years of our marriage, we didn't have almost anyone over to our house. Uh, Amber will tell you, she likes to make things pretty. So she likes a house to be looking a certain way and to be prepared to a certain extent before we have uh, people over. But uh, some things happened to us that were quite outside of our control. Uh, The one, uh, kind of encouragingly, about six years ago, uh, Amber and I uh, were on staff at Carmel Baptist, a church with whom we have uh, lovely friendships with uh, just down the road. I was the college and young adult pastor at that church. And we did a series through this book on which this series is named, The Art of Neighboring. We read through the book, we got the little card, we filled in our neighbors' names, and it was a, it was a total game changer for us as neighbors. But the second thing, uh, quite accidentally as well, was as college and young adult uh, pastors, we wanted to do, do a midweek Bible study just in the summer when all the kids had come back from their various campi. And uh, so they came back into town, and what I would typically do for the first two or three years that I did it, we'd find a family who was either related to one of the college students or whatnot, and we'd say, would you host us for a summer? And they'd be enthusiastic, and they'd open their house every week for the whole summer. And the one year we came to it, and we couldn't find anyone who was open, willing, available, what have you. And Amber said, why don't we do it at our house? And I used to, you know, Amber used to put the, the boys to bed and then I would go drive off to this house, do the Bible study and drive back. And I said, I just assumed that you weren't into that or that it was too stressful to get the house. And she was like, oh, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be nice, let's do it. And so I was like, okay. And so we started opening our house, just a simple practice of hosting a Bible study and you do it week after week after week, and suddenly you find the rest of your week arranges itself in a kind of liturgy that gets ready for, in our case, the Wednesday that was to come. So you do all your chores and stagger them throughout the week so that by the time Wednesday comes, you're just putting the finishing touches on the house. And so there's a sense that our whole lives were, were starting quite by accident to be oriented around the idea of welcoming people into our home. And the thing is is that when we started doing that every week, that meant that no matter what mood we were in that week, we had people over. It's not like, you know, when you had the 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 juice and the energy of saying, oh it's this friend I haven't seen in a long time. Come over, we've got to time this and then you look forward to it. It's like every Wednesday and some Wednesday it was like we didn't want to do it. And so they came and it was like, okay, let's stop fighting. They're coming, you know? <laughs> and, and so once that happens a few times, you kind of get, it's not calloused, but it's, you kind of get used to the fact that people are just gonna be there in your life. And then it started happening just slowly but surely a little bit more inconveniently. These students would start arriving early. Now these are millennials, mind you, like arriving early, and the house is just, you know, we're putting those finishing touches so the house is not quite right, you know, you're still putting like slipcovers on the couches and busy mopping and sweeping, Then the people would come early, and they'd come early regularly. And so eventually it's like, okay, here, take a broom, you help now. And then it started to become easier still because now they were helping us to do this. Then they started to come so early our kids weren't in bed yet, and so they'd start watching our kids, and then they started putting our kids to bed. And then it was like, okay, this is, this is a little better. But it hurts every time, even still, whenever they come and there's a sense of, we weren't ready for this. And I'll never forget the time that that happened to a greater extent than any other day. I remember it was a guy named Matthew, and it was not a Wednesday, and people started to pop in. And uh, I, I wish I'd only known at the time that that was the goal all along to cultivate an environment where eventually people knew that we could pop in any time. We say it as a matter of courtesy, but when it actually starts to happen, so Matthew's pulling in, he pulls, pulls down the driveway, I see through the blinds, I say, Amber, Matthew's here now. And, we, we, and she's like, what, did you invite him? I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, so we're looking around and the Legos are all over the place. The, the the ground is dusty. There's still bits of lunch, you know, left over, and the dishes are all in the same and we're Like, in the ten seconds that it takes for him to get to the door, there is nothing of any kind of redemption that we could do. And so it's like, oh, you know, that's like slow motion, ding 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 ding. It's like ding dong. And so, and so he comes in, and we're like, hi, <laughs> you know. And he comes in and he sits down, and finally all of that hospitality that we did by accident had finally gotten to the point where now he could pop in because he actually had something that he really wanted to talk about. And hospitality had done its work. So this is not something that Amber and I have, we don't even think or know if it's necessarily this gift that we have. It's just something that was put on the calendar and it started to work on us and we started to find uh, over the years that we were entertaining angels unawares. And so I wanna suggest that that if we start with the search for time, it's like chasing after the butterfly that just eludes you as long as you chase it directly. I also wanna suggest that if you wanna focus on having time for your neighbor, it's not good to focus on your neighbor. And that might seem counterintuitive, but if you're struggling with that, I want you to try this experiment when you go home. Go home, put your elbow on the fence, look at him or her in the eyes and say, I'm gonna work on my relationship with you as a neighbor. I am going to start pursuing you, (laughs) relationally. (laughs) Just see how well that works or doesn't work. See, the reason for that is when we do things that are to and you know, only Christians would talk about that. You know, y'all come in and we're just gonna love on you guys, and your neighbours won't like that. So we need a practice that's gonna take us away from something that's too explicitly face to face, right? We need something, a common focus that orients us this way that we can be with one another shoulder to shoulder. The folks who are best at practicing hospitality know about focal things and focal practices. What do I mean by that? So the word focus is a Latin word. So It's not just, it's not just a Latin derived word, it's a word in Latin. And the word means hearth, fireplace. The fireplace was the focus of the Roman home. It was always in the corner of the room, and it was the focus, not because it was the thing, but it was the thing around which the real thing occurred, the real practice of community and life. So it would be the source of heat. So that's where people would gather, and in the winter, that's where people would sleep. It's where hospitality would happen. It's where all of your meals were cooked. Meals, food, the source of life was cooked over the hearth. Wedding ceremonies were conducted at the hearth. In fact, I I had the privilege a a few years ago of doing a wedding at the hearth. There was a a lady who had grown up in the Greek Orthodox Church and we did a a wedding right at the hearth and there was something kind of primal about that that resonates in the bones even still. And it was beautiful. Uh, Ancestors were buried under the stones that were at the hearth. It really was the focus of all life. And even to this day, if you get a picture of hospitality in your mind, often we think of a house with a chimney with smoke coming out of it, right? Let's us know, you know, the, 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 the orange light is glowing through the windows and someone is home. The traveler, the pilgrim can come and perhaps warm himself by the fire. A focal thing is a thing that when we introduce it, people gather and a focal practice is a practice around that thing that causes us to gather. So, back to what I said. Go to your neighbors, guys, go to your neighbors, all all the guys, and say, um, hey guys, we're gonna get together, we're gonna stand in a circle and we're gonna talk about our feelings. (laughs) And you see how that goes. Now, you can do the same thing, All you have to say, hey, we're having a fire pit. And the guys will gather in a circle, and they'll talk about the fire, and they'll talk about all the other fires they've been to, and by the time the coals have, to- have simmered down, they'll talk about their feelings. Focal practices have that kind of power to them. They're things around which we can gather, and they start to work a kind of magic of their own. I had this friend, Dave, who built a sauna in his backyard, a wood-burning sauna with this big, like, coal oven, you know, big oven and neighbors come from all over the place to go and sweat with them. It's kind of weird, but it works. It's a focal thing. People see it in the yard and they're like, oh, what's going on, all the smoke? Um, And people who know about focal practices and know how to work them are great at hospitality. And it doesn't have to be some elaborate piece of furniture. I've been in places from Bolivia to Africa to Ukraine with nothing but a soccer ball and a couple of bricks, and you have a party. Whether people are playing or not, or just spectating or coming around, it's a simple thing, a little soccer ball, and everyone comes rushing in. Think about now the focal practices that are already around you. Things that you already love, that if you put it in the room, or if you take it outside, it's something that gathers people and you're excited about it. It Could be as simple as a game of golf, watching a football game together, a bottle of wine, a puzzle, a game of cards or a play date, sitting on a park bench together, shoulder to shoulder with a perfect stranger looking into the same park watching each your own children. And it's amazing how focal practices can bring out the depths. They're not supposed to be things that are all encompassing that all you can think about is this, but they have enough, they, they, they call your attention just enough but not too much that you can't also engage with those around you. I've been to a a, a tasting once or twice and people will hold the glass and they will talk about what's in the glass and where they've tasted it before and it's always like this thing they can go back to when the conversation gets weird. Do you know what I mean? It's the kind of thing that you can always go back to and people who are hospitable do this kind of thing intuitively. But for those of us who, for whom it's not intuitive, we've got to cultivate focal practices as a way of becoming hospitable ourselves. So I wonder if you know what the most universal focal practice is across all time, across all centuries and across all continents. Can you guess what it might be? That's it, the meal. Across all times and all centuries, the most focal thing would be a table. If, it, you know, if you're in the West, it's a table, but the meal is the most universal focal practice. So, uh, Kevin Hyatt, I don't know if he's here today, he's, uh, he's um, the new finance guy here at New City. So, a couple of weeks ago, we're sitting in the hallway, and uh, he comes, he says, Today's Wednesday. It's my favorite day of the week. I said, Why? He says, Well, Wife's got the kids, they go out and they do their things and it's steak night. I'm like, okay. He says, yep, I go to Harris Teeter or Publix and I get like a 32 ounce bone in ribeye. I'm like, that's two pounds. He's like, I know. <laughs> and he says, then I take it home and I get my cast iron skillet, I put it in the oven at 500 degrees while the, while the steak comes down, well, it comes up to room temperature, just salt and pepper, nothing else. Then I get that pan out of there, I throw a stick of butter, and then I put the the steak on there for two minutes, turn it over, another two minutes, finish it off in the oven. It's medium rare, it comes out perfect. Let it settle on the wooden block, and then I eat it straight off the wooden block with no sides. (laughs) I was like, I'm coming to your house. (laughs) And I did. So on Wednesday, I went to Kevin's house. I don't know him from Adam. He's a brand new guy on staff, and I was like, I'm coming to this house. And people who know how to work focal practices aren't gonna talk about hospitality or the environment that they're cultivating. They know how to take something, and it's so counterintuitive. you think that people who are about community will talk about relationships and people and the personality traits of the people who will be involved. No, they talk about inanimate objects and things like cast iron skillets, and it just, it makes it, it's so non-threatening, right? it, It takes your attention off the kind of confrontational idea and puts you shoulder to shoulder and like, I'm coming to your house. And it was amazing. And the steak was as good as he said it was gonna be. It wasn't as big as he said. He was kind of <laughs> disappointed about that. But then we had amazing conversation. Amazing conversation. It was an incredible, incredible time that we had. The most universal practice across all times and cultures is the meal. And think about the fact that every single religious f- feast in the Bible is exactly that a feast. That's how the Lord gathers his people, whether it's from uh, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, whatever it is. He puts a meal there and the people come around. And the meal is not necessarily the thing, it gestures beyond itself to the one about whom these things talk. And so. It, It's no exception in the New Testament as well. First Corinthians says, is not the bread that we break not fellowship with the body of Christ? And is not the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not fellowship with the blood of Christ? For Christians, the most central focal practice is the Lord's Supper, that in the simplest inanimate things like bread and wine, we partake of something transcendent, communion with one another and with God. The fellowship that we have on offer for our neighbors is not of our own making. It is an extension of the fellowship that we have with one another. The fellowship that we have with one another is not properly ours, but even that is received from the inexhaustible resources of the relationship that has existed from all ages past, present, and future between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the high priestly prayer, when Jesus is praying, not for his disciples at this point, but he's starting to pray for the world, he says, I ask not only for these, in other words, not only for the disciples, but also those who will believe me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. We're talking as one, as the Trinity here. So that the world may know the two most important things, that you sent me, that the Father sent me, and loved them even as much as you have loved me. You know something fascinating about all the texts in the New Testament that have to do with hospitality? Firstly, most of them are very short. They they occupy one verse in a list of kind of etc. at the end of a letter. But almost all of them follow after a verse about fellowship with believers. The fellowship, the, the thing that we're offering, uh, uh, noticing of course we have a focal thing, but we're hoping that something else is gonna come out of that, right? That as we gather, we gather long enough to pay attention to the ways that grace is at work. And that grace that is offered to others is the fellowship that we have that has existed from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our own passage is no exception. Hebrews chapter 13 verse one says, let brotherly love continue, and then do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Romans 12 verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. One more, 1 Peter four verse eight to nine, above all, keeping love with one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, we just finished a series in Acts, and towards the end, Paul is uh, on the brink of shipwreck, right, with all the Roman uh, gods that are with him, and finally it gets to the point where it's like the ship is going to go down, and what does he do? He takes bread, he blesses it in the presence of all, breaks it, and gives it to the Romans, and their hearts are encouraged. Now this isn't communion, but it looks and feels a lot like communion, and what we're offering to the world is an extension of what we have with one another. So what we have with one another, the focal practices that we have with one another of worshiping the Lord, that is why even though all of us are here, our focus is on the Lord himself. We talk about gathering in circles as well, but we're stirred by the scriptures. We have a focal practice of gathering around the scriptures. The focal practice of serving one another. All of these things are focal practices that are prerequisite if we have anything on offer to give to the world. Those things are cultivated here with one another because here with one another, we don't conjure up and make something of our own. But in it, we receive and recognize what is on offer from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is why so often we close services with the words by saying may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all because that's the only thing of value that we have on offer toward our neighbors. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for in so doing, we have some entertained angels unawares. So what are the focal practices that are near you, that are near to your heart, something that you enjoy? Maybe it's something that you, I'm hoping that it's something that is already a part of your life, but just making that next step of making it shareable with others. Maybe it's something that you love and it's gathering a bit of dust and you just need to dust it off a little bit. Maybe it's something that you do occasionally, but you can begin to do rhythmically so that people can begin to depend on you for that. The the guy has just moved in across the road from us. Whenever it's game day, he's got a huge Panthers flag down his driveway, and some other flag, I don't know what it is, maybe the college team that he supports or something. Flying in the driveway, the garage is all, now they're in the house, but the garage is up and the light is on, and there's an open invitation that whoever wants to watch the game may go in there. And that's really neat. And because of the rhythmicalness of that, it starts to become the kind of focal practice on which your neighbors can predict and depend. And you can cultivate the kind of house where people will bother you. And that's exactly the kind of thing that you want. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For in so doing, some have entertained angels unawares. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us that we should not overlook the fact that um, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, um, that we would not be compulsive in trying to manufacture time as if you needed us to do that for your sake, but that, but that through the peace that only comes through your hand, that we would recognize that you are already at work in the lives of our neighbors and love them more than we ever could. And grant us, I pray, Lord, rhythms of hospitality that would cause us to gather together just long enough to be able to recognize the specific ways that your gospel is at work in our city and world. For Jesus' sake, Amen.